Welcome back to another School of Science radio episode. I'm Gino Ganello, joined by Chris and Adam once again. And there's a lot to talk about. We haven't talked to you guys in a while. Three matches to break down as well as uh, some stuff to talk about that came up over the course of the past uh, week, week and a half or so. Um, but we're going to start things off on the high note of these three matches, the high note of the past few games, the past few weeks, the 5-1 win against Burnley, which is by and large the best thing that has happened to Everton in almost a month, considering their form since the Derby uh, debacle or the Derby mistake at the end there. Um, so, guys, let's just start off talking about this Burnley game. It was a 5-1 win for the Toffees. Uh, and, and it's, you know, we're getting to look at this now after the last two performances against Brighton and Leicester. So it gives us a little bit more to go off of as well as to how the team has responded since then. Um, but let's look at the performance itself. Adam, was this a performance as good as the 5-1 scoreline seemed to indicate or was it something else? Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, and obviously it's, it's a lot easier to to say that and and think negatively about that match based on what happened in in the two after against Brighton and Leicester. But you know, I, I think that guys like Lucas Digne and Richarlison and Gilfie Sigurdsson, who shook off his penalty demons, you know, all deserve a lot of credit for the finishing. Um, we you know had guys take chances that were really half chances on, on three of the goals that, that Everton scored um, and convert really, really well, and, and all credit to those guys. Um, but the reality was we didn't really see Everton generate uh, enough chances that you would suspect a five-goal performance from a similar performance um, in the future. And I think that ultimately some of the stagnation in the attack that we saw uh in the other two matches uh this week was there at times against Burnley it was just that Lucas Digne you know scored two worldies and Burnley is is real bad and Brighton and Leicester uh are not <laughs> yeah uh, to and to your point um Everton generated just about uh, one ex- expected goal in the Burnley match um and and I mean that it's just one in, in open play rather outside of the penalty from Sigurdsson. So um, they, and, and you know, um, credit is due. We've been asking the players to take their chances, which is kind of an ambiguous thing to say, but um, all season when they get into those positions and in this game, they really did um, for the first time all season. And it kind of happened all at once. And then we immediately reverted back to form. Yeah. And I mean, We'll we'll get more into the Brighton and 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 Leicester games and and I think that the biggest thing about this performance was that we did something that we don't normally do. Uh, we haven't done really all season. And we took our chances. You know, we scored set piece goals. We put it in. We put in the goals we should have put in, and then we had some other ones on top of that. Uh, like we mentioned, that that added to that five one scoreline. Um, and in the Brighton and and Leicester games, which we will get to. We had our chances and we didn't take them. And, and again, we'll get into that, but uh, it plays a lot into how this game went too. And the fact that we actually did score, we scored a header off a corner. We took the penalty kick. Um, and then of course, like you guys mentioned, uh, a few really, really good goals there by Dinya. But let's 
dig deeper into this matchup and look at the 3-4-3 formation that Marco Silva trotted out there against Burnley. What do you guys think of this? Chris, we'll start with you. How do you feel about the the 3-4-3 against the bad teams? I'm not crazy about it, but I understand it. I think that Marco Silva's goal with the 3-4-3 is kind of twofold. Um, you know, you can argue that, and I probably would argue that three of the top 11 players on Everton are center backs. And so it makes sense to try and get them on the field at the same time, given, given their talent. And I also think that, um, you know, Lucas Denny and Seamus Coleman are two of Everton's better attacking players right now. And so if you can come up with a way to push them further up the field, then it, it may behoove you to do that. The problem becomes that with those extra wide players, so now you have really nearly four wingers or, you know, three and a half or whatever you want to call it. And the overemphasis on playing through all those wide players is just exaggerated. And what happens is, which, you know, everybody could see it. Um, you bomb down the wing and just sling in crosses over and over and over again, like your David Moyes. And that's pretty predictable. It's easy to defend against, you know, Burnley can't defend and thank God for that. But um, most other teams can. Yeah. And, and I think that even, even before we look at Everton getting into the attack, I was really surprised, not that Everton rolled out uh, in this setup, you know, with, with Ghana still on the mend. I think it, it probably made sense in this match, but uh, seeing this back three against a, a bad team in, in Burnley, for lack of a better term, um, was interesting because of how far up the field um, Dinya and Coleman started um in Everton possession you know when when you see uh this 11 roll out you know you're thinking about is it a three versus a five and and sometimes those two terms are kind of interchangeable um not really in this case though Dinya and and Coleman were very very much in the midfield very far uh, ahead of the center backs anytime Everton was on the ball um and it it created at times spells where the the back three were knocking the ball between the three of them fine, but there really wasn't any immediate path forward. Now, obviously, when you score early like Everton did in that match, that takes some of the onus off uh, pushing the ball forward. Uh, but it, it was a, a a little troubling to me um, that that even against Burnley, against a team that has the talent that they do that there were times during that match when it felt like our center backs were really you know hurting to to find a way to to move the ball forward and against better teams uh you're gonna absolutely end up paying for that and frankly I'm not sure maybe shout out to Fulham I'm not sure that there's anybody in the Premier League right now worse than Burnley yeah, and you know, as I kind of indicated a little while ago, it, this really creates a problem where you have four wingers, and that's not a good way to play anybody. And the other thing is that may be instructive when you're looking at these formations is this was um, very similar personnel to what Marco Silva used against Manchester City, but that was truly a five, uh, and this was a three. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I, I think that the other part of it, you know, we've talked about the the wingbacks. Uh, just to also mention. Um, the two guys that, that were in the middle in, in Andre Gomes and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, obviously, both very good passers of the ball. Um, and 
defensively responsible enough that uh, against a team that's got limited options going forward, I, I wasn't particularly concerned um, about their defensive contribution. Um, I, I just think that ultimately Everton kind of conceded the numbers game in the midfield there three to two um, to Burnley. And the upshot was that neither of those guys really got on the ball. And that is going to continue to be a theme <laughs> throughout uh, the episode tonight. Um, but when we acknowledge that, that getting the central midfielders involved properly, the ones that we want on the ball is, is already something that the team is struggling to do to willingly lose the numbers game and make it even harder for us to, to isolate those guys and, and get them the ball in, in the spaces in the midfield and in the attack that, that we would want to see them makes rolling a, a back three or a back five or what have you really, really challenging going forward if you can't figure out a way to solve that problem. So you would say that, you know, that Gomez, Sigurdsson, that double pivot there, is that workable against bad teams even, or is that something we you wouldn't want to see us do overall in general in any of the games that we play for the most part, losing the midfield would would be probably detrimental to us. Well, you know, like I said, I don't know if there's anybody right now, again, except maybe Fulham, who's playing worse than Burnley is right now. And obviously we scored five goals in the game. So this is obviously taken with a grain of salt. But neither of those guys were really involved in the match against Burnley at all. And and I don't know if if we played Burnley again this weekend with the exact same setup I don't know that we wouldn't have a lot more problems than we did the first time because you just wouldn't see Everton converting the chances at the rate that they did because that's just not sustainable with the talent that's here. So you need to be able to involve those guys if you want to be consistently creating chances. And it didn't happen against Burnley, uh, even less against Burnley than it did in in some of the other matches this week. Um, and, And to me, that's an ultimate problem for a team that we know since then has now gone 180 minutes without scoring a goal, despite having those guys uh, available in the midfield. And Chris, real quick, before, uh, before you get into this too, I think uh, the other thing is that, you know, we got up three, nothing in that game mm-hmm. um, real quick in like 22 minutes and and even after we got up three nothing, once Burnley put their goal in the back of the net, there was still a point in time where I think a lot of Everton fans were like, "Oh, Burnley gets another." Burnley was putting some pressure; they could have gotten another there. You know, if we don't go up three nothing that as early in that game, that game's a completely different game. Yeah, and Tarkowski missed, you know, a a, a pretty <laughs> simple. Obviously, nothing is simple when you're a Burnley center back trying to finish in front of goal. We know we've got Michael Keane. Um, but he, you know, he missed a very good chance off a set piece three minutes into the second half that if he converts this, this game is three to two and all of a sudden, you know, the wheels are falling off. It's, it is not at all difficult to see a world in in which that happens and Everton's lack of control of the midfield, despite obviously having the superior midfielders in the game becomes a huge issue. 
Yeah, and to your point on that um, Tarkowski chance, uh, by the numbers, that one's going in um, 50% of the time. So basically a coin flip there, and it it, it looked even more dangerous live um, than five out of ten times. But um, back to the question about the midfield, though, it's – it sounds so good in practice because, you know, everybody's thumping the drum that Idrissa Gay can't pass, which is to a large true. extent true. true. But um, <laughs> I just – I don't know that even it starting off against bad teams, I'm not super crazy about it. I I wouldn't hate seeing it, you know, in instances where Everton need a goal and they can take off the more defensive midfielder and drop Gilfie deeper to, to get on the ball more. But, you know, uh, we saw something similar to that today. And that didn't really work either. So, what I will say that that is uh, a slight caveat to this is that I, I would not want to see a Gomish Sigurdsson double pivot in the midfield if there were to be some other, probably not currently on the roster person who could play also as a ten. And we wanted to play a three-man midfield against a team that we knew was not going to be able to come at us with a lot of pace. And we needed something that could break that down. I would not be against Gomez uh, and Sigurdsson with with that, you know, it's mystery Nicole number Vlasic. 10. Oh, yeah, Nicole, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it, with Nicola Vlasic in front of Now the, that I'm thinking uh, about it, I'm not actually kidding. I don't hate that at all. Well, I, I think you'd probably put Vlasic next to Gomez uh, in the whole uh, – at the back of it and put Gilfie up well, front, but it's it's a moot point with Nico's you know, work rate. Next season. Um, I prefer Gilfie's in terms of at least defensive effort, but um, neither here nor there. But yes, the, a three-man midfield with those two guys as the deep and somebody who makes sense in a more attacking role ahead of them, I think is more workable because now you, you've got a chance to win or at least draw the numbers battle in the midfield. Um, which is where my bigger issue is, not not as much in the defense if we're assuming that the team that Everton is playing is not very good. I just don't think that that player to play ahead of them exists right now. Um, so it, it's fun to talk about, but not useful in practice. And the Nikola Vlasic, uh, <laughs> that, that is an interesting one considering the fact that CSK Moscow has come out and said that they would like to sign him on a permanent deal. We don't know what's really happening there. Um, but yeah. he is a player that when, when he left here, wasn't really doing too much, wasn't showing so much, but since then has really performed, um, uh, in Russia and, and really kind of given some people some things to talk, some things to think about at Everton in terms of what we're going to do with him as we move forward in the future. Yeah, ask your favorite uh, Real Madrid fan what they think of Nikola Vlasic. <laughs> Something tells me that there's a direct correlation between CSK and Moscow wanting to sign Vlasic and him tearing Real Madrid apart in the Champions League. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable to me. It's probably the same reason that if we were given the option to have him back right now for the rest of this season, we'd take him in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, I will be – we're off on a tangent here, but I will be pretty – pretty despondent if uh, we can't bring him back over the summer because I, I think he's really good. Yeah. And then, you know, we don't know what's happening with Dowell and that will be an interesting thing too, to see how he progresses after uh, moving out on loan, but continuing with this Burnley game, uh, let's move on to the set pieces. And we, we scored off two set pieces in this game, uh, but are they really doing enough to utilize their set piece weapons? I mean, we have Gilfie, 
Dinye, Mina, Keen, Zuma. I mean, the last three are mountains in the middle there. And just to me, it seems like we may not be getting the best out of it due to the fact that those guys are so tall and can be so, uh, I guess, so powerful and important in the box on, on, on corners. Chris, are we doing enough? Are we utilizing them enough? Uh, the way we should be? Uh, what's going on here with the set pieces? Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious answer to that is no, right? Um, Yuri Mina's goal yeah. against Burnley was, I think, only the second goal off of a set piece. And when I say set pieces, I'm not, um, really including direct free kicks in that where the player goes directly for goal like, uh, Denier has on two of his goals. Um, it was either the first or the second. And, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, Everton have only generated under three expected goals from set pieces this season, which considering the, as you mentioned, you know, the talent that they have available to, to get those plays set up and run them is kind of inexcusable, especially when you consider, well, look, look at the world cup and some of the teams, especially England, I think is instructive in how, um, they had all of these designed plays and it really worked well for them. And I, that may be easier in a short tournament where you don't have as much time to prepare for your opponent. But I, I do think that given the personnel at hand and given that set pieces are still somehow kind of a market inefficiency, uh, we would, it would behoove us to really, really go after it. I, uh, I, I mean, I would love to see, uh, Everton, you know, Taking more chances on set pieces. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm not necessarily. Uh, I, I'd be interested to see what the expected goals for most teams on set pieces are, and this is totally just based on my what I've seen and experienced. Is I've always felt that that uh, chances generated off set pieces for one reason or another end up generating on the low side of XG. I, I it feels like we've created more chances or we've had more opportunities where one of those big guys, as you've mentioned, has gotten into a good spot, gotten onto a ball and just put it nowhere near the goal uh, to the point that, that I would expect more than three goals from it. I, I think that, that for the most part, um, Dinya and, and Gilfie have done a decent enough job serving the ball up. I just don't think that Michael Keane or Kurt Zuma can head the ball straight. Um, <laughs> I, I know that's a little bit reductive and simplistic, uh, but that is just the, the way that it's looked to me. And neither guy, you know, both guys have been around the league for a while. Neither guy has more than two goals um, in any given Premier League season in their career. And again, given their size, and given the fact that they played for, you know, Zuma was at Stoke, uh, Keane was at Burnley, teams that rely on set pieces uh, for a lot of their goals, that they were not getting on the end of those would seem indicative to me that maybe they just can't shoot straight. Um, and I don't know what you do about that except for target Yerry Mina as much as possible because that guy can head the ball into the net. And, yeah, and I, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, I I just did a brief browsing of the set-piece expected goals numbers around the league, and Everton are pretty right on level with other teams in terms of um, indirect free kicks, we'll call them, but they lag way behind in terms of corner kicks, which 
you know, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a coach or a master tactician, but it seems like there's things to be done on the training ground that could improve that. And Adam, I'm kind of interested in your perspective on that because you, um, cheer for a team that has in the past been just absolutely outstanding at working those dead ball trick plays, for lack of a better term, in the MLS New York Red Bulls. Uh, it is <laughs> those, those. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. There. No, 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 no. I, I laugh because it is true um, in that they, um, the Red Bulls have historically, you know, since the, in the last three or four years, been very, very good at coming up with very unique and innovative set plays um, that, you know, it's three guys making quick t- one touch passes in a, pattern that the defense doesn't expect and you wind up with somebody wide open at the back post because you know no nobody expected to have to track four passes in this this play uh and then the ball's in the back of the net and it looks very nice when it comes off um but the red bulls also basically for the better part of the last two years haven't scored direct on a free kick and really in the second half of this season did very little if anything on set pieces at all and my my concern my ultimately um is that when you do try to operate those more tricky set plays um it looks really great when it comes off i'm not convinced that on the whole your your rate when you get to the end of the season trying to do lots of fancy and intricate stuff ends up being a whole lot better or better at all than it does if you're just telling your best shooter, have a crack, or you're just, you know, putting it up there for Yerry Mina or Dominic Calvert-Lewin to get on the end of, because when you add so many moving parts to a set piece like that, it's just five different places where something can go wrong, as opposed to just saying to Gilfie, you know, put it on the big dude's head and let him try to, you know, muscle it home. Uh, yeah. So I'd be interested to to see to what extent Silva – uh, you know, would even want to to do something uh, well, to implement uh, plays mean, like that. It's an interesting more, question, though. A more local example before we move on is I don't know if you guys remember Everton Everton's third goal of the season, I think, in the second match against Southampton. That free yeah, kick. That um, yeah, Walcott ended up scoring it, but it involved some some nifty stuff from Morgan Schneiderlin, and I forget who actually took the dead ball, but it was uh, it was pretty tricky. And you know, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking at and wondering. If maybe more of that mm-hmm. should be um, be in play, but a little bit further to Adam's point, I, I do my concern there would be that um, that's something that you know you put on tape and the smart teams will figure it out. Yeah, and and that's actually the exact one that I was going to point out too was that we've seen it before, but I, I understand what you guys are saying where where you know if you like you said put it on tape. Uh, teams will start to realize you might be doing something tricky and those chances uh, are harder to come by. But leave it to Everton to find the only guys in the Premier League that are 6'4 and can't find the target when their head hits the ball off a corner uh, at center back. But uh, moving on to another person who has been given a chance recently. It's a taller taller player who who – has had, has had a few headed goals this season. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he's gotten his chance to lead the line for a few games, had a break against Brighton, and then again today uh, took on Leicester. How do we feel about him leading the line? How has he done? Uh, Adam, how do, you, how do you feel about 
DCL's play so far? Um, I remain pretty optimistic, ultimately, I think, uh, about what he's been able to bring um, up top. I think that, and we are going to dive into this soon, I have no doubt, um, that uh, Silva's overall tactical plan in terms of the attack and what's been going on in the midfield would make it difficult for any striker um, to to get things working. Um, but I mean, in this Burnley match, he had uh, the pass that put Richarlison, uh, oh no, uh, put Richarlison through, I think, was that the, the, the Tottenham match, excuse me, is the one that I'm thinking of. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he uh, plays, played Tom Richarlison through the foul for Dinier's free kick goal against Burnley. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's doing a lot of little things right, I think, to, to keep the Everton attack going as best as he can. Uh, I know he got that goal in the, the Manchester City game and has been goalless since. Um, but I think that there are a lot of good things that he is doing. And I don't know if I think that a different striker who's either at Everton or just out in the wild, it is going to be able to do a whole lot more than he is doing given what is going on with the rest of the attack around him. And part of the problem with the rest of the attack is that um, Richarlison in particular and Sigurdsson as well, and even Theo Walcott when he's playing well, which has obviously been a while is those three players really eat up the majority of the shots that Everton are taking which is a problem when you're the striker and you need to be shooting the ball, right? I mean, this uh, gets into another problem that we may discuss later, but it's tough to make a cohesive attack when your front four players all like to shoot the football. Yeah, and that is you know in in the match from from Leicester today that our day of recording you know was an issue when you've got Richarlison, Sigurdsson, and and Walcott all playing behind him. That is obviously um, a situation where that's, that's a lot of shoot first guys and not a whole lot of creativity. Um, it, you know, against, um, against Burnley, uh, Bernard was in there, uh, which brings a, a little more of a creative flow. Obviously Adam Lookman has been out um, when he returns. Hopefully that will also um be able to to bring a little more creativity into the midfield to make Dom's life a, a little bit easier. Yeah, and and we'll talk about this too. But I mean, look at who played on the outsides of him or on the outside of him today it was with Charleston on the left and 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 Walcott on the right, who both have had their fair share of tough times uh, crossing the ball into the box, and then multiple times where Dom, if you looked at it, there was. Uh, you know, times where Dom was at midfield while the play was halfway up because he was having to hold up the play and, and come back and grab a ball. And then, you know, it's it's hard when, again, we go back to that midfield when we can't advance the ball and it's a lot of, you know, lobbing that ball up to the the striker, which Dom has done a good job of, but coming back to get that ball and then it, it it's, you know, creates some problems for him then getting forward and, and you know, Again, with the amount of players that want to take shots, getting forward and getting in the spot to then put the ball in the back of the net. Um, but I mean, I, I've also been a supporter of Dom. I, th- I think that he's done a good job with what he's been given. Um, and I think that'll be, 
it'll be interesting to see how he uh, progresses moving forward. But I, I think that we all have a, a general consensus that he has done what he can do uh, at Everton so far this season. But moving on to Brighton and Leicester now, we're going to look at both of them here uh, as we wrap up our review and then look forward to the transfer window and uh, the FA Cup match a little bit coming up. But now with Brighton and Leicester, Everton have not scored in 180 minutes since, you know, it's clear something's wrong with the attack. Adam, what is it? Um, It's that they are continuing to not get the ball to their best creative player. Um, it's, it, it sounds agonizingly simple and I know it's a little more complex than that, but the fact of the matter is Gilfie Sigurdsson is just not getting enough touches in the attack. Uh, we're getting increasingly, and this was the case both against Brighton and Leicester, even more reliant on just knocking the ball out wide and, and trying to knock crosses into the box and, you know, especially, uh, as, as we've said in, in today's match, uh, against Leicester, when you see Richarlison and Walcott, who are not particularly good creative players, uh, that's just not a viable means of creating attack against a team that is going to be well-drilled defensively, like Brighton was and like Leicester was. There needs to be some kind of central component to the attack, and the, the ultimately the, the shortcomings have, have been that through some combination of tactics and player execution and opposition, you know, planning against Everton, that's just not happened and it has to. And, you know, I, while I would definitely prefer for the attack to run through Sigurdsson, at this point, the problem is serious enough. I wouldn't even mind if they switch to, you know, just trying to let Richarlison and Bernard beat guys one-on-one. I think that would even be more effective than slinging the crosses into the box for, for guys who either aren't there or can't get on the end of it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I think that the, the interesting thing that, that we saw with Lester today, I think more pronounced than, than we had earlier in the season. And it, it kind of gave a different wrinkle to the issue. Um, was I, I think Silva pushed Andre Gomes a little bit into a higher position, almost at times alongside Gilfie, um in, in the midfield because mm. he was trying, I think, to solve that issue by getting an extra playmaker in that central channel. But what it really did was, so he, he had Gomes and, and Sigurdsson in between the Leicester midfield and defensive lines, which is fine, but it left Idrissa Gay really as the lone midfielder in front of the Everton back four in front of the the Leicester midfield line. And it just eliminated any possibility to work the ball between the lines in that central channel, because the only guy available to make that pass um, was, was Idrissa Gay. And Gay uh, had two times, even a little bit more than two times as many passes attempted as, uh, as Andre Gomes did today, and and that's not a method for long-term success. And it's infuriating to me that within the first 10 or 15 minutes of a match where you see that that trend developing, that uh, Marco Silva doesn't immediately say to his his team or communicate in some way that, okay, something's got to change because that's not it. That's not going to work. Yeah, and, and just to, uh, visualize those numbers that Adam was talking about, Adrissi Gay attempted 96, um, 
passes today against Leicester City, which is kind of a, all, nearly a Manchester City midfielder number. Um, Andre Gomes attempted 45, which is uh, backwards because one of those players is much better at passing than the other one is. And and just to clarify something further too, I, are we in agreement that this problem of not playing through the midfield is largely one of the managers doing and the, the tactics that he's putting out there rather than the talent available? Um, I, I think that obviously if Idrissa Gay could, could pass, obviously it, it would be easier. Um, so, uh, I, I won't say that we have, you know, the perfect <laughs> midfield to, to be able to, to play that way. Um, but yeah, I think it is much more tactical and managerial than it is based on the, the personnel available, given the way that Andre Gomes has, has played overall. Well, and it's it's also got to be convenient for Marco that, that Lucas Digne is playing his ass off creatively and he can just revert into that rut, um, which, as we've seen, has happened. And here again, you almost wonder if as much as Adrissa Gay brings all over the field and as much as we love him, if it wouldn't be something to try to – to, to drop him for these matches against the Leicesters and the Brightons and the Burnleys of the world and either play Morgan Schneiderlin or James McCarthy or Benny Beningamy who can pass better. Um, and, and just, just kind of see if that, if that helps the issue at all, because as, as you rightly said, Ghana just soaked up so much of the ball today and that's kind of becomes a black hole. Yeah. And I, I am, I'm a little frustrated. I'm a lot frustrated, uh, as you can tell, um, with Marco Silva right now. And I, I, it's interesting that, that you mentioned, uh, Schneiderlin because I don't really know what Silva is trying to do with him. Um, he, when, when we've had a full complement of midfielders available, um, he's not even made the 18, uh, which is fine if that's, if that's your assessment of where things are. But then to come out, um, this week. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. You know, and say, you know, well, we're, we're not giving up on him. You know, we, we'd like to, you can't have it both ways, especially when it's, it's so plainly evident that the issue here is, is, you know, that, that there isn't enough creativity uh, or the center is not being used in a creative fashion. Let's, let's put it that way. And you've got another central midfielder available to you who, who can pass, even if it is, even if he is, you know, better sideways than forwards, he's certainly still a better forward passer than Ghana is. And to put him in limbo at this stage, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't yeah. know what Mark is trying to do. I'm not crazy about it. And, and if you're the player in that situation, you see that you're not being used pretty much at all. You know, there's that exception um, a few games ago, but you're, you're not being used at all. And then the manager saying these things to the media and it's like, well, damn, Marco, which one is it? Yeah, and, and you know the, the reason, and we talked about it when he initially got got dropped. The reason that that Schneiderlin was ultimately dropped from the team was that Silva wanted to play a more pressing style, a little um, more active off the ball, which is fine. But are we a pressing team? And, and that. I don't know. I don't know if we're a pressing team at this point. I don't know I, what I, kind of team this is I just, at this point. I, and I know, Gino, uh, you've got a point to make, which um, I'll shut up in a second. But I, I just look at this set of players, and I don't really see that many guys who are very good at pressing. Um, obviously, Ghana is is very high level at that, and I think that 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin is pretty capable as well. Um, but, you know, Andre Gomes is, while, while mobile, not the most, um, you know, he's, he's got some speed issues and obviously speed's not the, the name of the game when it comes to pressing, but it is important. And, you know, Richarlison's defensive effort is, uh, well, it leaves <laughs> a little bit to be desired. And so, <laughs> Marco may want to play that way, but at some point you have to you have to be willing to adjust to the what you have available. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but to me it's felt like we haven't pressed as much as we were earlier in the season over the last few games, just even against these lesser teams. Uh, it just felt like, um, you know, against Brighton or Leicester, and Leicester is a different story because Leicester can hit you on the counterattack very well, but. It feels like we pressed harder. We were, we had the crowd behind us because we were pressing harder in, in, in those games earlier in the season. That has seemed to have fallen off a little bit. Um, so I, I don't know if that's, you know, we haven't just, maybe we just haven't been pressing as much. Um, which may be also, um, you know, part of, part of a problem that, uh, we're facing now as opposed to earlier in the season, but also with, the Morgan Schneiderland thing, I mean, you look at the way um, Silva talked about Cheng Tosun, uh, you know, and, and and he was dropped, and then they talked about him, and then he was dropped again and wasn't in the 18 again. Is this more of a protecting your players at that point or just protecting, you know, just keeping the cards close to your chest? Like, like how how do you, you know, it's not like it's he's only said it about Schneiderland. He's done it with Tosun as well. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a motivational tactic. And, you know, it, it obviously depends on the player and their personality, whether or not th- that's effective. But in, in Silva's slight defense, and I, I, much like Adam, I'm frustrated with Marco right now, but in Silva's defense, he finally reused Chink to soon today. And I thought, you know, it was a limited sample size, but Chink looked pretty good. Um, he got off four shots in his limited time on the pitch and generally looked really hungry. He, they panned to the sideline a couple times before he came on and, you know, Marco was up in his ear talking to him and he was looking at uh, a couple different iPads to get some images to help him. And, you know, all the, the body language with Chink is good, but we've never had a problem with Chink's body language and we have with Morgan's. So you almost wonder if Silva would be better served taking a different tactic with, with Morgan. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously we are not in the locker room. Um, we're not in the press room, you know, it, it is, there could be many things going on that, that are unbeknownst to us, um, that it explains some of the decisions and, and comments that we see going on. But it is, I think, very, I think it's very fair to say that from the outside perspective right now, I, I'm not really sure what the Everton I don't know consistently outside of outside of that we're just going to try to knock the ball wide. I don't know what we're going to try to do week to week. Are we a pressing team? Are we not? Um, who is going to be in? Who's going to be out? It, Marco's goals right now and his means of getting there are very unclear to me. Um, and that's frustrating based on the success that the team had earlier in the season. Yeah, it's definitely frustrating is the exact word that I think we all use to describe this period. It feels like nothing's working, feels like we're having more and more problems pop up with each game. And that brings me to my next question, and we'll bounce through the rest of this 
quickly so we can get on to the transfer window. But, you know, since Spurs, the defense has looked pretty suspect, suspect and, and not as good as they did earlier in the season, uh, no matter who the personnel was. Is this the system or the player's problem? Adam? Um, I, I'm not necessarily convinced that there are any huge new excuse me, new issues going on. Um, We still, uh, both against Brighton um, and uh, against Brighton there, we didn't concede a goal from open play. That was set-piece issues, and uh, Brighton's other major chance in that game also also came from a set-piece. So we're not seeing anything new there. And Leicester's goal uh, comes on, you know – a, a not a very good uh, individual play by Michael Keane um, the, on the, the giveaway that, that led to that goal. Um, but we've had intermittent individual errors like that all season. It is what it is. It's going to happen. I'm not particularly convinced that we're seeing anything different or worse from the defense than we did for most of the rest of the season. Spurs, we had no Ghana. Uh, got a little, you know, got a little disheartened, and then the whole thing blew up, uh, which Spurs are a good attacking team. Uh, I'm not that disheartened by that. And then since then, we conceded a set-piece goal, which, of course, we did, and won on the counter to Jamie Vardy. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the defense, I don't know if I think that there's an issue with the system or the personnel, uh, and I think that if the offense was working, we would not even really be thinking about the defense. It's that we've lost two consecutive games, one nil, and that obviously puts a lot of pressure on your defense when you can't friggin' score a goal. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree with you. The one thing that does concern me about the defense, and this is system related, um, is the insistence on playing such a high line because it does, at least in my mind, it leaves you more susceptible to those mistakes like Michael Keane made today. And you look at that mistake by Michael Keane and Vardy is in on that pass from Ricardo Pereira because Kurt Zuma is so far up the field um, when Everton are in possession. And, you know, that's – I'm sure that Silva understands the pros and the cons of that system, but the goal today really was especially stark in my mind where if, if Zuma's playing a little bit further back – and Vardy may beat him for pace anyway because that's, that's just what Jamie Vardy does to people, but – I think you have a better chance of keeping that one out of the net because Kurt can make up for Keane's misplayed touch. And so I I would like to see the center backs maybe not be so aggressive when Everton have the ball, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to complain about giving up a goal per game Spurs, Spurs aside. And I think that that tactic would make more sense if we were seeing a regular consistent connection between the center backs and the central midfielders as the ball moved from defense to attack. Because uh, then you can kind of justify playing that higher line and trying to reduce the space b- between your defense and midfield lines to make those passes uh, easier for, for your center backs to, to move the ball forward. Uh, we don't see a ton of that. It almost always ends up going out wide anyway. So it, it's your conceding some defensive stability for if you turn the ball over in in the situation that we saw today uh, without getting a whole lot uh, out of it, if that's the way that you're going to play when you have the ball once things start moving forward. Yeah, and it's, 
again, I, I agree with you on this, Adam, uh, in the sense that, um, and, and I think Chris does it in, in the same sense as well, where, you know, we're giving up, give up a goal against teams like Brighton and, and even Leicester, we should probably be able to get one from there as well. Um, so we'll, um, we'll see how that plays out as we, uh, as we move forward in this, uh, new year and in the, in the season. But, just to wrap things up with this review, and then we'll go quickly down to the transfer window preview. This is the last met match of the festive period, which we all agreed was potentially going to be the defining moment of Everton's season and what they could do in the end. Now that it's over, Chris, what have we learned? Uh, just on a very basic level, I don't – A, this team is nowhere near as good as we thought they might be. Um you know, in November, I guess, late October. And, uh, this is a rebuilding year. Um, I don't think that, uh, based on what I've seen this in December and now today on New Year's Day, that it, I would not, I'm not going, I've, I've reset myself to, to hopefully not be upset when Everton do not qualify for Europe and do not advance super far and in, in the FA Cup and that kind of thing. Um, we're not getting relegated and progress. In terms of learning Silva's system and getting getting the new signings acclimated and signing Andre Gomez permanently and all these kinds of things are are really more important than the ultimately immaterial place that Everton finish in the table, because again I do I do think that the place in the table is going to end up is pretty irrelevant. Yeah, well it it is now uh, is yeah, it's ultimately right, the, exactly. thing, the thing that we learned uh, is that there's there's no real feasible way. Uh, into the top six, you know, it, you can argue maybe, uh, about, about the top seven. Certainly not, not top six with the Everton performances we've seen and also the fact that Manchester United have been freed from the Jose Mourinho shackles. They'll come back to earth to an extent, but they are now the team that they should be with that attacking power and there's no way Everton can compete with that. Um, but I, I mean, the, the reality is that by the end of this match week, Everton could feasibly be sitting 12th or 13th, uh, and, and that's – it's disheartening um, based on where we were a month ago, a month and a half ago. Um, I think that the FA Cup uh, probably takes on a little bit more meaning uh, because you know that you are where you are in the league. Um, you know, you're not going to finish top six. But I think that ultimately what we learned is, as Chris said, this is not a team that is as good as we hoped it might be. Um, and I think the only thing that I would add to that is that as more time passes, I, I get less sure about whether that is talent related or tactic related. And that is concerning That's, to me. That is the if scary it's, part. Yep. If it's talent you know, we've seen that that's the distinction. It, it, we think that that Marcel Brands has done a good job of bringing in talent because we've looked at the individual performances that we've gotten from almost every player that that Brands brought in over the summer. Uh, and, and it's been good. We've we've liked what we've seen from all of these players. Obviously, uh, Mina has had his ups and downs, but you see the potential there. Zuma has has been pretty reliable. Dini has been good. Richarlison's been good. Uh, Andre Gomez has been good. Um so if if we like all those individual pieces that Marcel Brands has has brought in, well, what's the problem then? And that's yeah. That and is, I do 
I do just want to couch this discussion by saying it is far too early, far, far too early to issue a, a, an ultimate verdict on Marco Silva. Because, oh, yeah. And, you know, that shouldn't need saying, but if you've been, spent any time on Everton Twitter, um, I, I still got to say it. That's on the, any club Twitter if you're being Yeah, fair. well, yes, <laughs> uh, not, to, not to single out our fans. Uh, but if you look at his his tenures at um, – we'll use Hull City and, and Watford since they're, um, they're both in England. Uh, Silva has shown a sample size where he burns real hot real for a real short period of time. And then things start to go south. You know, Hull City, he came in and they really played really, really well. And it looked like they were going to get saved from relegation. And then I think on the last day of that season, they gave up like seven goals to Spurs or something, which was kind of emblematic of of how their form had fallen off. Then last season, Watford start off, they end up in fourth place. And, you know, they're hanging around the European spots for the first couple of months of the season. And then they just go in the tank. And it's like, we're starting to see a trend. And here we are. <laughs> here we are. And it's it's unfortunate that things aren't going our way right now. Hopefully, this can all get figured out. Uh, and, and and who knows how it will be. But one of the ways it could be, not necessarily that we do need to do it this way, but could be in the transfer window. And that's uh, now in full effect. Now that we are, uh, it's hit January 1. And transfer window is now open. Um, and just real quick to go over some things that have already happened in the transfer window involving Everton. Kieran Dow- Dowell has gone on loan to Sheffield. Um, to Sheffield, uh, Mason Holgate has gone on loan to West Brom. Tyus Browning on loan to Villa, and uh, James McCarthy uh, reports are are circling that he may be going on loan to West Ham. Um, so those are the things that we have as of right now. Obviously, a month. For us to see what it actually brings us in the end. But start out with this. Adam, what are some key things Everton can do besides buying players in this new or buying new players in this transfer window that would help stop the skid? And then we'll go from there in terms of of what they could do while buying players. I will answer your question, but... Mason Holgate got loaned out to West Brom, and I mean, I'm not trying to spike the football here, but I am a little bit. Um, he's not very good, and I'm glad that we have a manager that sees that. Now, I mean, tough break for Gareth Barry at, at West Brom, because, uh, I mean, guy gets well, I, out of Everton and Mason Holgate just follows in there. But, I mean, no, it's it's cool. It's cool. The bad I, news is that I don't even trust Gareth Barry to be a babysitter after he stole a taxi while he was drunk at a McDonald's in Spain. Yeah, that is that is true. Fun fact. Oh man, that'll be good when the libel suit comes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, to answer your question, um, a couple of things that that Everton needs to do to improve things outside of of adding a new player. I think it's one that I probably said once just about every week this season uh, is that set piece defending continues to be an issue. And as we've said, we've got. Big guys at the back with when Dom or Chenk are uh, in the lineup, uh, you've got a big striker. We're not hurting for size. We should not be conceding on set pieces the way that we have seen this team do time and time again this season. Um, and I, I don't, I, I, as I've said before, I, I don't necessarily know exactly 
what the answer there is. Um, it, it, is it going to man marking? Is it just, I don't know. That seems like the only option available, right? To, to go away from zonal marking, but whatever it is, it needs to happen and it needs to happen fast. Um, and the other thing is that they, as we, we said in the open, uh, they got to find a way to get the ball to Gilfie Sigurdsson in the attack because the, the insistence to an, an almost ludicrous degree uh, of, of building in, in the wide areas and, and looking to get the ball into the box from there uh, is absolutely crippling this team's attack right now. Um, so those would be my two biggest things. I am going to have two things as well. The first one is going to be, assuming that he's not seriously injured, as Marco Silva has said, he's not um start making Adam Lookman the starting right winger moving forward mm-hmm. and re- meeting Richarlison on the left. That way you kind of have that yin-yang with a creative player and a goal scorer. Um, that one's important to me. And the other one is actually uh, kind of on a similar vein, and that's uh, see if you can bring Benny Benigami back from the dead. Right. Um it's a little bit off, it's a little bit off the wall, but, um, based on what we've seen from Benny last season, I think that there's a player in there that offers you a lot of the defensive stability that Adrissa Gay does with a lot more passing ability. And it, if you're not buying any more players, as the question suggests, um, that, that could be a, a real nice band-aid. Yeah, a- agreed. I love Benny Beningami. I'm a huge Benny Beningami stan. Um, and I, I think that ultimately that, uh, if he comes in to the team and and not Schneiderlin in the coming weeks, then I'm going to have a whole lot more questions about the uh, – there's a balance there with, with those two players, and I think there's probably only room in the first team for for one of those guys um, in addition to Andre as it stands right now. I, I really um, like how n- none of the three of us have mentioned Tom Davies' name at all in terms of the midfield solution. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Tom Davis and, and James McCarthy – you know what you're going to get from them. It's just not the thing that we've said that we need because White, they're basically yeah. less good at Drissa Gay. And White we don't need Drissa Gay. He's good at what he does. We don't need a less good version. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, – I mean, I, I, I would be interested to see what players that haven't really been featured that much, specifically, again, Benigami, with you guys on that, uh, see where we could um, – or ways we could improve that midfield because we could talk, we talk about a week in week out. It's, it's an issue each week. Talk about something different, specifically gays passing, but that's something that definitely needs to be figured out. Um, if we can do that without buying new players, obviously that would help um, and would be a good thing. But another position that I, I think is a position that really needs to be looked at seriously. And I think that we probably do have the player to replace this, We've already mentioned it just now, but you know, given Theo Wolcott's form, if we were to go buy out buy players right now, should right winger be at the top of that shopping list? Uh, no, because I think as as Chris has has said, I think that at least you know for the next week or two, if Lookman is is healthy and good to go, I think he's got to get a shot. Now, if he cannot replicate what we've seen from him off the bench from a starter's role in the two or three weeks uh, coming up, then maybe, yeah, maybe you're, you're on the phone. I, I don't necessarily think that I would go there, but I think that you've got to give Lookman a chance before you even think about, do we need to have another player at this position? And also I think in the long term, Theo Walcott 
probably going to be fine. I know I've been saying that for a while now, and it, it the length uh, which we've been saying that is getting a little concerning. Um, but you don't get to have have scored the number of goals that Theo Walcott has in this league for as long as he has, and and, and just stop being good all of a sudden, at least not at the age that he's at. Yeah, I I generally agree. I think I may be a little bit further down the path of Theo might be washed than Adam is. But even if Theo is is getting washed, I mean, Everton have four wingers. You can only play two, and they're only in two competitions. Um, That's plenty. And I think, you know, Walcott is also, you know, if you bring in somebody else, then you have five, and Walcott's going to be, even if he is playing well, pretty difficult to sell at close to 30 years old with his injury history and on big wages. Um, I, I would rather just kind of write it out. And again, that part of, part of my thinking on that goes back to what we were saying earlier that it looks like Everton's place in the table is going to be pretty immaterial. And so the, the need to, to push through a, a big sit, purchase in January seems a little bit foolish. Yeah, I agree that, that right winger is not a position we really need to look at. I think, like Adam said, give Adema Lookman some time to really figure this out, see if we, he can do it as a starter. And I think that time off for Theo might give him a chance to really, um, you know, rest up, figure it out, um, and, and work maybe even a little bit harder, uh, to get that spot back. And, and, you know, I, I think right now we're good at that position, uh, despite Theo's current, uh, lack of form there in, in recent weeks. But if there is anybody that we are bringing in this, window are there any specific players you'd like to see the club acquire this month chris uh yeah just the one and that's uh leon's 10 guy in, in Dombelli. um he's uh basically you know what you dream about benny beningami coming he's a much better passer and um attacker than adrissa gay is and and you know i don't think that we can afford him because of the other teams that are in the race like manchester city and spurs and and those kind of clubs but um that that's the dream for me and i i i'm hesitant to even give you any names just because i i am still on the on the the fence about buying anybody in january but he he would be the guy for me because he profiles like a superstar and buying players of his age and Richarlison's age and Yuri Mina's age is looks like it's Marcel Brands's MO um but you know uh, if you did purchase Ndombele that probably spells the beginning of the end for Idrissa Gay which I don't know that I'm quite ready for so it's it's tricky um and you know again January is just a real bad time to to buy players um I am pretty confident uh, I don't want to see Everton adding anybody unless a Lucas Dinya type uh not position obviously but that sort of uh we're pretty sure he's good he's young and he's coming to us on relatively cheap uh deal pops up I just I don't know what the point of adding a player when in a time where you know it's it's going to cost you more and when we're not exactly sure what this team is yet makes any sense given that as we've just said uh, there isn't a whole lot left to play for this season um obviously you'd, you'd love to see the team go on a run in the FA Cup uh, and and we've seen that you know on their day they can hang with with the big guys but you're obviously you're not making a big move in January to hopefully you know 
go on a run and, and win the FA Cup and, and anything else, unless you're really certain that it's going to make you definitely better in the long term and at a price that's going to make sense. I just don't see uh, any cause for for making another addition. Well, and uh, even if you did buy somebody to, as as you say, there's not much left to play for. Even if you did buy somebody with the the pie in the sky idea of making a run in the FA Cup, but by the time that competition starts to wind down, that player may not even be integrated into the side yet. I mean, we saw how long it took with with Gomez and Mina, and I know that they were hurt, but still, those that's a pretty regular occurrence for new for new transfers. <sighs> And if it's somebody coming from the Premier League and you don't do it until the third or fourth week in January, they might be cup-tied already anyway. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, again, just to underline the dangers of buying in January, we were real excited about Theo Walcott and Chink Tosun this time last season. or you know, And I just – and 12 months later, we're not sure if they're really going to pan out long-term. So – while most of the summer purchases look pretty good. So I, I don't know what exactly it is about them this month. I think, you know, teams being under a lot of pressure has a lot to do with it, but it, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. I think it's one of those, you know, unless there's a deal you absolutely cannot pass up that you don't know if you're going to get again type thing uh, for a player that we're, like you said, is we're pretty sure is pretty good. I don't see any reason why we need to buy in January. I don't see any reason the prices are inflated, as we always talk about, and and again, we talk about this every week too. You know, we don't know what this team is, we don't know how good they can be, but Adam's right. I mean, what at this point, there's really not much left to play for, and I know that sounds doom and gloom here halfway through the season, but I mean, the with the way Manchester United's playing right now, and the way the others in the top six are playing. I can't see any player really making a significant enough impact for us to take a chance on them in January that we, you know, really desperately need right now. Um, but looking ahead briefly, we've mentioned the FA Cup to uh, Lincoln City, uh, which is this Saturday, I believe. Uh, what Everton players, and this will be we'll wrap things up after this, what Everton players might need a good performance to keep their place at the club, if any. Adam? Um, I think that, as we've kind of alluded to throughout the evening, uh, that I think the center of midfield um, is an interesting place. You know, uh, Andre Gomes looked looked pretty gassed today, so I, I don't suspect that he'll he'll play in in that game. Um, Ghana's coming off an injury. I don't think he'll play. Gilfie plays every minute in the league, basically. I don't think he'll play. Um, and that leaves you at least two, maybe three spots for guys like Tom Davis and James McCarthy and Morgan Schneiderlin and Benny Beningame. Um, and I think, I don't, I think if Tom was going to get loaned, uh, that decision would already, you know, be in motion. Um, but, but for the other three, uh, for Beningame, Schneiderlin and, and McCarthy, uh, I, I think this could be a final chance for Schneiderlin and McCarthy to, to prove that, that they've got it to have a future at Everton. And, and for Beningame, it might be the only chance he gets to prove that he belongs in the first team. Um, so that's the position for me with a bunch of different guys, uh, that I'll be paying close attention to 
against Lincoln City outside of obviously just getting the result on its own. Yeah, um, my my answer to the question is Ching Tosun. I think that, you know, he's been coveted back in Turkey, and so far he said that he wants to stay and stick out his uh, his tenure here and try to make it work, which good on him for that. Um, you just don't know really if Everton will give him the opportunity to do that. Um, but it looks pretty clear to me with as much as Dominic Calvert-Lewin has played, with as much as Richarlison has played, that Tosun will start on Saturday against Lincoln. And, you know, uh, complaints about Chink aside, he uh, he should be able to to run the show up top against a, a team of that nature. And if he doesn't, I'll be uh, I'll be a little bit concerned. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. A lot of people are going to get chances on Saturday to prove themselves to prove that they still have a spot in this club and to maybe get themselves a chance at the Premier League, um, in our own Premier League match. We'll see how it all works out, guys. Thanks as always for joining me to talk a little about Everton as, as hard as it is sometimes. Uh, and to the listeners out there, thank you for listening. Keep listening. Keep following us on Twitter. We'll talk to you guys next week.